0: Good to see everybody here today. Good morning to you all. Good morning to our online peeps. How are you all doing online? Hopefully you are not listening to me in one tab and looking at cats in another. So uh, I'm glad that you are here today. So I'm Lee. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Vineyard Church. Let's go ahead and put our mission statement up. And everybody online and everybody here, let's say it together. We are living a passionate mission to love, grow, and go for the greater glory of God. So, awesome. That's what we're all about as a church. Uh, it's a passionate mission. It's not a boring mission. It's not a dull mission. In fact, as Christians, you know, if, we're, if, it's, just, if it's dull for you, you might be doing something wrong. And so, uh, it's a passionate mission. It's to love Jesus, to love each other. And uh, to grow in Christ, and to go to serve each other and serve the world. And so, this morning, what we're doing is we are uh, continuing our walk through the book of Second Corinthians again. How many are reading 2 Corinthians along with us? Few people. Yeah. Uh, wow, it's such a great book, and I mean, you could just go through it chapter by chapter. You know, even if you read like three verses a day in Second Corinthians and just sort of chewed on that and then move on to the next one. It's so good. And so we are walking through that. Again, just a quick reminder, 2 Corinthians was a follow-up letter to what book? <laughs> Your geniuses, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so it was. there were people that took issue with Paul's first letter, so he wrote a second letter. And so Paul does this great uh, job of addressing the issues of 1 Corinthians, uh, but sort of like unapologetically and with love. And that's what I love that. And chapter 5, he starts off and he's talking about what happens to our bodies in eternity. Yeah? That's a great, you know what, if, if any of you have ever like, yeah, what's the deal with heaven? What's the deal with eternity? What's going to happen when we die? Uh, there is a great book by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. And if, if those of you sort of kind of theology nerds and you want to kind of go a little deeper in that, wonderful book and uh, so I, I highly recommend that but uh, he sh- kind of starts off talking about that and uh, you know he talks about his yearning to move on to the next stage of existence his, his yearning, yeah. and those of us who are getting older we yearn a little bit more than others you know uh, <laughs> so we, we yearn for good backs, we yearn for good knees, we yearn for you know all those things we're yearning for the end of all of the stuff. But he's yearning for all that. And then he says this, and this is, almost seems like off topic, but he says, basically, you know what? We're here in this earthly realm for now. And we have a responsibility to love God with purpose and principles. And I love that Paul, because this is something we, I think that we get away from in the church a lot. But Paul uses the language of responsibility here. You know, we think that, oh, we're just going to be drawn. It's all about being drawn and feeling good. But Paul's like, we've got a responsibility. And he says, but why? Why do we have this responsibility? And he says, it's because of Christ's love. It's because of Christ's love. And so I remember um, I, I grew up in an in a, uh, age or an era where, uh, you know, I watched a lot of TV. I watched, you know, McDonald's commercials. McDonald's. I grew to call it McDonald's. I didn't always call it McDonald's, but uh, McDonald's commercials, Burger King commercials, all those things. It seemed like there was fast food commercials on TV all the time back in the day. And um, but it was this constant message of have it your way, right? You deserve a break today. How many remember that one? Anybody old enough to remember that? You deserve a break today No, you don't. You've been scrolling on your phone. You have been working. You don't deserve a break. You've been taking one all day. So, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's the old man coming out. I'm gradually becoming an old codger before your eyes. Um, but it, it was all about sort of being in control, right? And it's almost like, you know, don't tell me what to do is a phrase that is just, it's barked out by people from the very young to the very old. I mean, pretty much, like even young kids, don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. Um, or it might be reworded. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't you hate that one? Like, that one has got to be the most absurd one ever. Don't tell me how to live my life. I remember one time, Wendy and I, we were living in an apartment. Forrest was just a baby. He's, I don't know, maybe six months old. We were living in an apartment in New Mexico, and it was late at night. It was probably 11 o'clock at night one night, and the, the, the apartment dweller upstairs was watching a movie really loud. And I'm like, I got a baby downstairs trying to sleep. It's like 11 o'clock at night. That is unreasonable to have to tolerate that. So I'm going to go upstairs and kindly tell him to turn it down. And so I'll never forget. Like, I'm, I'm, I knock at the door. This guy answers. He's got some Keanu Reeves movie blaring in the background. What was that one where he puts all the information in his brain? Johnny Mnemonic. Horrible movie. And uh, so <laughs> it was just it was stupid. And so. Uh, I, he comes to the door, and I said, hey, would you mind turning it down? I got a baby downstairs trying to sleep, and it's really late. I'll never forget his response was, don't tell me how to live my life. And I'm like I'm like shocked by that response. I, literally, it wasn't even like, you can't tell me to turn it down. It was, don't tell me how to live my life. Almost like the, it has become this sort of automated program response of stupidity. Don't tell me how to live my life. And I, I was so shocked that I didn't know what to say. Like literally, I stepped back and I went, this guy, live your life, you know? And so when I finally kinda, real, you know, kinda came to, because I'm a slow processor, I'm not like a gut responder. I'm kind of like a, what? And then I freeze for a little bit and I process what was just said. And finally I just went, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm not telling you how to do your taxes or live your life or raise your children. You know, I'm just asking you to show a little common courtesy for the guy downstairs. <laughs> and so he turned it down. But uh, it was just, you know, like this, This you can't tell me what to do. And it's very American. It's very, very American. And uh, so when I read the, the, that Jesus wants me to, like, give him control of every area of my life, it was very counterintuitive. It was very, like, that's not natural. In fact, that's, that's not even... That's not, dare I say, that's not even patriotic. You know, don't, you know, that I'm supposed to give control of my life to someone else. And so, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, Jesus, I, I'm grateful for all you did for me and all, right? You know, I, I'm not trying to sound ungrateful, but it does not come natural for me to surrender my relationships, to surrender my finances, to surrender my life decisions, to surrender my television volume to Him. And uh, especially when I'm pretty confident that I know what I'm doing. I've done my research, Jesus. I've watched a couple YouTube videos. So you can't tell me how to live my life. And so, uh, you know, that's sort of this kind of, that's the, the culture we live in now. I've done my re- I've done a ton of research. I hate it. Anytime you guys... Don't even get me started, because it's probably been a dozen times I've said this over the last few years. But I hate, hate, hate when people tell me they did their research, and what they meant was they read a news article or they watched some YouTube videos. Why am I still air quoting? But um, so, you know, and and but we think that we just think that we know better, you know, and especially when Jesus is trying to speak to us through a mouthpiece especially when Jesus is trying to speak to us through a pastor or a passage or a sermon, we're like, eh, okay? And I'm sure you guys have bristled, you know, uh, when you were directed to do something that wasn't your way. We love our way. I mean, our way is the best way, you know, and it doesn't matter if, it, if it's your, your way to make meatloaf or it's your way to handle your finances, it's whatever it is. But, you know, our way is always the best way, especially if we're under 40. And so, <laughs> I didn't just call out all you young people. I'm just saying I was there. So, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've bristled. And I remember one time, one of our, uh, one of our worship team musicians, uh, who, I won't call you out because you're, you're still here, but I remember <laughs> one time, very early on in the church, uh, I had given a little direction, I was at back at the sound booth, and uh, I had given a little direction to one of our musicians. And I said, I said hey, I, actually, uh, if you wouldn't mind playing it this way. And, like, you could just see the shoulders go up, the neck stiffen. And I just said, I said, don't bristle. Don't bristle. Just go with Just give it a try. Right? And his response was hilarious because I still laugh when I think about it, but he went, I can't help it. I came pre bristled. <laughs> and so some people are just pre bristled. I just love that. I'll always remember that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes we're just bristled. And I, I've, seen, I've seen people squirm in their seats when I've preached something that doesn't align with their sensibilities. And so one thing about preaching for 25 years or so, you begin to recognize body language and, you know, things like that while you're preaching. And, uh, and you know, Dan's over there trying to roll his eyes big enough for me to see him from here. Yeah, it's... And uh, so, you know, you begin to recognize those things. And at the end of the day, though, we, we're supposed to be people of the word. At the end of the day, as believers, we're supposed to be people of the word. And the word is the ultimate truth for us. Um, you know, but it's not enough just to read the word. It's not enough even just to believe the word, that the word is meant to be lived out. And we're to be people who live out God's word, even when it's counterintuitive, even when it's countercultural, um, even when it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And so what does Paul have to say about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And this is, I, I think, I hope you'll enjoy, I hope you're taking notes today. I hope you grabbed a bullet and you're taking notes. But let's pray real quick. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray, Lord, that your word would bring transformation in our lives, that your word would transform us and change us and bringing a new life to us, God. And so, Lord, uh, we surrender, we yield to the work of your spirit and the work of your word in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. And here Paul says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. There's that, there's that word, responsibility. Wow. Uh, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry. Wow. I, I won't even go there. Because <laughs> that could be, you know, a tangent that you all lose respect um, for me over. But... Um, He says, "You know, you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. It seems we are—if it seems we are crazy—it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves." Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. If you remember one thing this morning, please, please, please remember this. New life grows as control goes. New life grows as control goes. Wow, we love control, don't we? We, we value control so, so, so highly. And I just feel like, you know, Jesus, I love what Jesus says when he, he says, hey, if you really want to save your life, lay it down. You know, J- Jesus' whole message was a message of surrender. But, and so new life grows as control goes. If you want new life, and we all do, right, we have to surrender control of our lives to Jesus. And that's really what it's all about. When we're coming into the kingdom, it's not just about getting out of hell right? We tend to think about the king, you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus so that I got my ticket. I can get on the train to heaven, go to old Beulah land, right? In the sweet by and by. And we, and, and we have been uh, just like brainwashed into this idea that following Jesus is all about this ticket to heaven. And if that's all it's about for to you, you are missing out on the other 99% of following Jesus, okay? And so, what Jesus is saying, when you come into the kingdom, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're pledging our allegiance to Jesus. We're saying, you're our king, Jesus, and I'm going to be a subject in your kingdom. People are funny. They're really funny. People want new life, but they want to be in control. They want new life. They want things to be better. They want to experience joy. They want to experience God's power and presence. They want to experience peace. They want new life, but they want to be in control. But sadly, it was being in control that made them need new life in the first place, right? It was being in control. You know, I, I, and we all know people who it seems like their life is just one drama after another, right? This drama and that drama and lost this and this this tragedy happened to them and they lost this job and that relationship broke up and it's just like one like drama after another and then when it comes to surrendering control of their lives, you go, hey, man, well, why don't you give it all to Jesus? Don't tell me how to live my life. Well, man, you've been saying don't tell me how to live your life for the last 30 years, and your life isn't that great, you know? And so when we surrender our lives to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to do it your way. You you guys ever see that Seinfeld episode where George decides he's going to do the opposite of his impulses? You know what? That pretty much could go for all of us. If if our impulse is to do A, we should probably just do B, you know? And uh, our lives would get a whole lot better. But people are funny that way. They don't want to surrender control. They think they know better. This time is different. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. But the sooner we give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives, the sooner we experience His peace, His presence, His blessing. And so, according to this passage, you know, what are some ways that we live this out? Well, the first thing is this, and I thought it was very interesting that in a passage about lordship, one of the first things that Paul talks about is our witness. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So the first thing is release control of your witness. Release control of your witness. You know, here's the thing that I think that we try to do. We try to witness and be cool like we have attached like coolness as this value that is higher than everything else and sometimes you just can't be cool and release your witness you know your control of your witness and so paul says that we have a responsibility to work hard at leading others to jesus that is part and parcel of being a christian of being a a a believer in fact When the Bible talks about discipleship, being a disciple, in Jesus' time, it was implied that by being a disciple, you were also going to be a disciple maker. That was part of being a disciple of Christ, was actually making other disciples. And so uh, we have to release control of our witness. A surrendered life cares deeply about what Jesus cares about, and he came to seek and save the lost. And now we have a job to do. As believers, we have a job to do. And so, a surrendered believer will lovingly share the gospel with other, with unbelievers. And so, there is uh, an often, often misquoted St. Francis quote. It drives me crazy because it gets misquoted and misused constantly. But the misquote is preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And so, that's actually not what St. Francis said. And so a lot of people will hear that, and they'll use it as an excuse to kind of close their mouths and hope that somehow their lives, you know, will become a witness. And so I'm not saying it's either your life or your words. I'm saying it's both. And so, uh, you know, your your life might maybe, you know, lead some people to Christ, but we still have a responsibility to share. What St. Francis actually said, word for word, well, when translated, is it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. So the implication is, you're going to preach, but let your walk do your preaching as well. And so we have a a responsibility to release control of our witness and to share our faith with others. We need to practice what we preach. Okay? Uh, There's a guy that I know in Davenport who loves leading people to Jesus. He's so good at it. And he will actually ride the bus from his office to the mall, even though he doesn't need to ride the bus, he has a car, but he'll get on the bus and he will sit next to somebody and he will lead them to Christ on the way to the mall and then get back on the bus and then witness to somebody else on the bus before he gets off at his office. Because... He knows that he has a responsibility, he's wonderful, he's a great guy. I was like, dude, you got to lay hands on me, I want that anointing. I mean, this, this is the guy who was like, uh, had, a, had a layover, like a two-day layover in Germany, flying over to Africa, and he ended up leading so many people to Christ at the airport in Germany that they ended up starting an airport church there. And so, like, uh, he's a wonderful guy. I should have him come in and speak sometime. Um, a wonderful guy. And so, uh, we need to release control of our witness. And the next thing is, and this is, really goes along with releasing control of our witness, but we need to release control of our reputation. Everybody, you know, you're going to have people in your life that think you're a weirdo anyway. It doesn't matter who you are. I, you know, people think you're a weirdo. Why, do you, why are you worried about your reputation? And so a surrendered believer is all about bringing glory to God. You know, sometimes when you bring glory to God, it doesn't bring glory to you. Sometimes when you bring glory to God... It doesn't make you look cool. And so uh, we need to surrender our reputation. It's all about bringing glory to God. A surrendered believer doesn't need a pat on the back, right? A surrendered believer doesn't need a pat on the back. A surrendered believer doesn't need recognition. A surrendered believer doesn't need attention, right? Y'all ever see that movie, Mitty, Walter Mitty? Anybody see that one? There's one line in that movie that was beautiful. Uh, do you guys remember Sean Penn's character? He's a photographer. And he's, he's got his lens on a snow leopard. And, uh, and then, who's it? Ben Stiller finally catches up with him. And uh, as Sean Penn is looking at the snow leopard, he says something. He said, True beauty doesn't demand attention. True beauty doesn't demand attention. I thought, that is so countercultural. I mean, in our Instagram world, in our world where we want people to notice when, you know, we've done this or we've done that or we've achieved that. I mean, holy cow. True beauty doesn't demand attention. And so releasing control of our reputation can be so freeing, you know, not needing a pat on the back, not needing the attention. In fact, Paul even said that he was so concerned about God getting the glory that he may seem a little crazy to the Corinthians, right? He may seem a little crazy. And then he went on to say that he is controlled by Christ's love. That's, that was his motivation. He was controlled by Christ's love. What a wonderful thing. What a perfect thing to be controlled by. You know, some people are controlled by popularity or reputation or, or being recognized or, you know, how, whatever it is. And uh, I remember one time, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I grew up in a home with some dis- dysfunction and things, and I just remember I had a family member just, like, accusing me of all sorts of, just crazy stuff. They were just mad, and they were just saying things out of anger, and they were just weird. You're this, and you're that, and you blah, blah, and just, you know, blaming me, and accusing me, and judging my motives, and all those things, and uh, I remember so distinctly going down into my bedroom. I had a little basement bedroom I had set up down there, because I wanted a bigger room, and uh, I was, like, 19 or 18 years old, And, and I just... I was so upset and those words just cut so deeply and I wanted to go up there and and defend myself and say you, you don't even know man, you know what you're saying, that's not true and all those things and it just very clearly Jesus going, just let me be your defense attorney just just let me manage your reputation just, just surrender and uh, it was just, it's so freeing, okay and so a surrendered believer doesn't need those things and uh he, Paul just loved Jesus so much that he was willing to look like a fool for the benefit of the church. That's called a surrendered life. And the last thing is, release control of your decisions. Release control of your decisions. Just kind of goes back to this whole thing of like, I know better. You don't know me. You don't. You know, like it's so funny. Like all, we make all these unwise decisions, believing that somehow that we're the exception that's going to succeed in this. You know what I mean? No, I will lead that satanist to the Lord. I will. I will. My boyfriend, Satanist. You know, like I I, will. You don't know. You know, or or, (laughs) I God wants me to prosper, so I'm going to go to the casino. You don't know. You don't understand. I know those machines. You know, and and so like we get so we we always think that we are this exception to to the rule, and so uh, you know we need to let God decide all the things. Let God decide what you put in your body. You know, if we let God decide what put what we put in our body, I'm pretty sure 80% of diseases would just go away, right? If we just let God decide what we put in our body, right? Uh, you know, we're a people so concerned about our rights in this area that sometimes we just refuse to let God have control. Let God. Let God decide who you're going to be in a relationship with. That's the other one where we're just yeah. I mean, we're always just like, no, I'm the exception. You don't know me. People get so offended. Oh my goodness, like. You know, when you challenge somebody and you go, "Is that the right person for you?" You don't know me. You don't know him. You know, just let God decide. Just let God decide. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's about what's wise in the Lord's eyes, right? And so, uh, let God decide. Uh, you know, this is one of the areas where just we constantly think we know better, but we just we 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 fall at over and over. You know, your mind can create a thousand justifications for being with the wrong person. Your mind can create a thousand justifications for doing the wrong thing all the time. It's amazing, I mean, how quickly our brain works when it comes to making a bad decision. How quickly we can come up with a hundred reasons why we should make that bad decision. And so, uh, we need to trust that God really knows what he's doing here. You know, and that way we get to avoid going around the merry-go-round. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm talking about, the merry-go-round. We just keep making the same mistake over and over again. We just keep going around the merry-go-round. This time it's different. Oh, it was the same. This time it's different, though. Oh, wait, it was the same. This time. Oh, it turned out the same. (laughs) Just let God have control. You know, let God decide how you're going to raise your children. You know, parenting is tough. I've raised three. Don't quite have the third one fully raised yet. He still needs to cook a little bit longer. But, you know, the, the, I've raised three. It's hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And uh, a lot of times as parents, rather than letting God have control, what we do is um, we, uh, we tend to do, go through the path of re- least resistance with our children. Because raising kids is tough, right? And sometimes we want to give them what we know they shouldn't have just to shut them up. You know what I'm saying, and so, or or we we make decisions with the motivation to avoid conflict. You know, I think the main emotion I felt through the first ten years of each of my children's life is tired. Right, just tired. You're tired a lot raising kids, and uh, like I had no white hair before I had children, and so now actually I had no white hair before I started this church, but. Um. And so, you know, it's just, it's hard. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why, as a lot of times, we have a difficult time following the Lord. It's not so much that that we don't want to obey God in raising our children. It's just that we're tired. And so, as parents, what we tend to do is we tend to take a more passive route because we're tired. We want to avoid the conflict. And so we just sort of let our children do what they want to do and um but that's usually not a good way to raise children a passive you know passive uh, approach to raising children is usually not good because what does scriptures say that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child in other words when we let a child do you know what they want to do and make their own decisions usually they're going to make it you know not the one that is the best you know decision and so when we take a passive role in our child's intellectual growth or physical or spiritual development you know that's not letting god have control right and sometimes we might spiritualize it. We might go, you know what, in that area, I'm just releasing control to God. But we say that, we say that we're just releasing control to God, and what that means, you know, that's code for going, I'm just going to be passive and let them do what they're going to do. And we do that with different areas of our lives. You know, we're terrible, especially if you've been in church for more than 10 years. We're terrible, terrible, terrible at applying spiritual language to really bad decisions. I'm just going to release that to God. No, what you're going to do is you're just going to let that run its natural course, which will not be what God wanted. And so uh, we don't want to be passive. You know, let God decide how you're going to handle your money. Ooh, crickets. You know what I'm saying? Let God decide how you're going to handle your money. Hey, hey, if God's going to, if God, you know, asks us and blesses us for tithing and we go, oh, cricket, cricket, cricket. You know, then our mind starts to go with all the reasons why we don't tithe, right? We're talking about, and so you know, and it's because we we love to say that we trust God, but that's just one of those areas where we don't trust God to care for us if we surrender full control to Him. It's such an ouch. And here's the thing that I love about tithing. The thing I love about tithing is because that is a real rubber hits the road area when it comes to control to God. There's so many other areas that you can kind of go, yeah, I'm surrendering control, and we feel like we're surrendering control, and it doesn't really cost us much to surrender control, a lot of areas like that, but when it comes to going, 10% of my income, what? That's huge. And, we, and, and it gives us an opportunity to really put, literally put our money where our mouth is, and go, I am surrendering control to God. Bam. And here's the proof and so, like, that is just one of those areas, but as control goes, as control goes to God of our decisions, our reputations, our witness, our new life grows, our new life grows, and so I have never surrendered control of an area of my life to God and regretted it, like, never, like, never, I've never gone, oh, crap, you know, sometimes we think that God is like that guy who offers to fix your car and then screws it up. You know what I'm saying? Anybody have a friend who's like, yeah, I can fix that. And then, like, you end up taking it to the mechanic to fix their repair. You know? And I think sometimes we think that that's what's going to happen with God. You know? But I have never taken an area of my life and surrendered it to God and went, oh, he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, now, now we can't afford Now we're getting kicked out of our house because we surrendered control of our finances. Oh, that sucks that's never happened right I've never gone you know what it was when I surrendered control of my relationships guess who I met anybody want to guess yeah right it was when I surrendered control and it, you and it and it took a year it took a whole it, at least a year it took a year and I just remember at a point young I was young and I just said God I'm giving this area to you and I'm not dating anybody you know I'm just I'm not I'm not I'm, just, I'm not even gonna go hang with girls as friends because I want to surrender that area of control to you, and I'll never forget. It was my very first day in Denver. There was some cute girl on the worship team, and uh, her her name was Wendy, in case you were wondering. And there was some cute girl on the worship team, and the whole and and I felt so clearly the Holy Spirit kind of go, mm-hmm. and I went, okay, but I'm still surrendering that to you. And I'll never forget. It was like I don't know, six months later. We had a first date, and the Holy Spirit bringing that back to my memory, going, remember? I was like, yes, I surrendered control to you. I didn't take it into my own hands. And so God has shown over and over again that he is far more wiser than I am. Far wiser than I am. And that he loves to bless me, right? He does, because our Father is a good Father, right? Yes or no? He's a good father. So when we surrender control to him, he blesses us. I love that. All right. You know, we don't surrender control and then, you know, and suffer for it. We surrender control and he blesses us. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just, here's what I want to do. I I just want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. And so, yeah, you can come back, Wendy. Um, But I just, I want to ask you just, you know, or ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, what am I holding on to? You know, what am I holding on to? And let me just drill down a little bit deeper, okay? What am I holding on to? Because here's the thing. We worship what we're afraid of losing most. Think about that for a second. We worship what we're afraid of losing most. So, are we afraid of losing control over our relationships? Are we afraid of losing control over our finances? Are we afraid of losing control over the way we raise our children? Are we afraid of losing control over even just our biases? Can we give our biases to the Lord? Can we do that? You know, that's huge. Can we surrender control of our attitudes? Lot, you know, a lot of us hold our attitudes really deeply, right? And so, but are we willing to surrender control of our attitudes? Are we really, you know, to surrender control? Um, because we worship what we're afraid of losing most. And so this question here, This is where I want you to drill a little deeper. This is where I want you to do a little self-reflection. But where do I claim that I'm surrendered, but I'm really not? Let that sink in for just a second. Where do I claim that I'm surrendered, but I'm really not? Everyone has a little bit more ouch to it, and I hope that you are honest enough with yourself. To be able to make that assessment I have claimed to be surrendered in this area But I really have not lived that out I've made a mental assent To that i thought that I was I've made grand declarations That I am But I'm really not I'm really not Where do I claim that I'm surrendered But I'm really not And I want to challenge you today You know, get before Jesus Surrender it all That old song, I surrender all. Oh, I used to love that song. All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Yeah, wow. All to thee, my blessed Savior. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Through Jesus, this morning we come with a heart of surrender. ability to live surrendered to you, to surrender our witness, to surrender our reputation, to surrender our decisions. And God, even you know, like Paul says, even if it makes us look, makes us look crazy, we're going to do it. Surrender to you. God, just continue to lead us into deeper and deeper surrender. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring conviction, where conviction needs to take place. That we would not be numb or cold to your challenge and your drawing to surrender, but God, that you would bring a sense of conviction where it needs to happen. Your word says that you convict us of sin and righteousness. So convict us of those areas that we have refused to surrender and of those areas that we've claimed to surrender but have not. We don't want to just give you lip service. We don't want to just sing how you're the king but not surrender to you like you're the king.